Have you ever wondered how to hunt deer when there are no water holes? I've run into this living in high desert here in Utah. And I'll tell you, there's a few areas I've hunted that have like no water. So in today's episode, episode 28, I'm going to talk about a few different options that you have to kind of work on this problem because it is, it's tricky and uh, you might see deer in a certain area but it's really hard to attract them or kind of see their patterns. So that is what we are going to dive into today. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is a first generation bow hunter. This is a podcast all about getting new people into bow hunting, kind of breaking down a few myths and answering those dumb questions that you might be afraid to ask. So kind of leave the bro bra at the door and just talk very real about all sorts of different topics. Go back, listen to a few episodes as well. If there's a certain topic that interests you. Also, there's a few of my favorite ones. The one with Kendall Card is really good. He really kind of talks about him starting later in life, which I think is pretty common. The other one with Steve Bailey, really enjoyed that one. That was a fun one too. Michael Merrill, Colin Cottrell, uh, Adam Bender, they're they're all really good interviews. So don't be afraid to uh, go back and listen to a few of those. They're, they're pretty cool. Before we jump in, we just had a giveaway uh, two weeks ago, and Keaton won. So congrats to you, my man. Keaton won a really epic bow hunter package. He got some broadheads, got a really cool mystery ranch pack, got some fresh game bags. Just in time for the season, too. Gosh, we're literally like weeks away. It's not even months anymore. It's crazy. And then he also got a new trail camera to add to the quiver. Speaking of trail cameras, I was just out yesterday and uh, setting up some cams, checking on checking on things. And I was in the area that that I normally go where there's not any water. I have yet to find water in this area. The thing is, though, the deer are pretty active in this area, and they kind of stay within that two, three-mile radius. It's pretty common for deer. But I was kind of scratching my head because it has been so blazing hot, and I'm thinking, like, this is why I wanted to tackle this uh, topic. And so, yeah, that's that's what we're going to talk about today. But it was fun getting out, but I made uh, a mistake. (laughs) So, yes, it's been dry, but... Recently, we've had some rainstorms, so stuff is growing. It's pretty green. It's, it's it's a weird, weird weather. Definitely a heat wave here in Utah, but we've had some rain. I went out just wearing shorts, and then I pulled my big wool socks up, and then I put gaiters on, my first light gaiters, and then I had my boots on. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great because it's so hot out. I don't want to wear pants. It's too hot for that. Well, man, I'll tell you what, I got so many little pokey, sticky, every little briar, every little pokey thing just was a magnet for to those uh, wool socks. It was terrible. Oh, man. Like, I, I'd go like, I don't know, <laughs> 30 feet. And I'd look down, and they're just full of pokies again. And I'd pull them out, and bam, it would happen again over and over. Lesson learned, wear pants. Yeah, I was trying to was trying to keep things cool. Didn't work out very well. But it was fun, you know, going out, 
and putting cams up. I, I've been using these wildlife innovations. I've actually really enjoyed them. Honestly, where I get them, I get them at Walmart. <laughs> they're so cheap. You can find them down as low as 20 to 25 bucks when they're like clearing them out. So I'll grab like three or four and easy to use, really good uh, megapixels. Just a good all-around trail cam. So shout out to Wildlife Innovations. That's uh, one I've really, really enjoyed. And I don't even work with them. I just, I literally just over the years, I've, I've enjoyed their stuff. Also, speaking of gear, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, but just got some t-shirts. That's right. I got two t-shirts out. And so I've got a small run of them. So I've got one that says super plain. It just says first generation bow hunter on it. So if you want to rep the podcast or just represent who you are, that's a super classic one. And then my other one that I've been wanting to make this shirt for a long time. And it's uh, it's like a smoker. And then it says venison smoked daily. So that's, that's uh, yeah, pretty, pretty stoked about that. So let me know if you would like one. Normally, I'm charging 20 bucks per tee uh, shipped to you. However, if you're listening to this, just um, you get five bucks off because you're a listener. So if you Venmo me, Adam hyphen Buchanan hyphen three, um, and even hey, I'll give you the last four digits of my phone number, 0243, you can Venmo me $15. I will ship you a shirt. I've got medium, large, and XL. Smalls are on the way, a little bit delayed. Also, if you're listening to this like in real time, uh, today is Tuesday. This Friday, I'm headed up to Park City for the Total Archery Challenge. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have some shirts with me. So just let me know you're a listener. Just put in the Venmo, like first-generation hunter shirt, and then add the code LISTENER. Super official. All right, you get five bucks off because I like you and you're dedicated and thank you for your support. Really, really pumped. I haven't taken this shirt off since like yesterday. I just like, I'm super, super pumped about it. I'm like proud to wear it at the gym, the grocery store. I'm just like out there, super amped. Now, if these shirts don't sell, I'm going to have t-shirts for probably like three years. But a lot of them are like super big size. I wear a medium, by the way. Oh, by the way, these shirts are made by Next Level, and they got a good, like, form-fitting athletic cut, super soft. The wife is going to steal it, I'm sure, and that is that is the, uh, the t-shirt update. So I'm pretty pumped about that. So get five bucks off. Just tell me you're a listener, and we'll get you taken care of. I'll ship those out. And, yeah, if you're up at Total Archery Challenge, give me a shout. Drop me a DM on Instagram. Let's meet up. I'm shooting at 1130 is my knock time. So I'm pretty pumped about that. If you haven't shot in a 3D shoot, I tell people it's it's funny. It's like a different adrenaline rush. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like more sustained because it really is so fun. You're like hiking around, checking out these hidden 3D targets. It's pretty cool. So watch for those events. They do sell out pretty quick. But one thing I found, if you check Facebook groups, in you know archery groups there's always people selling like last minute tickets because they just couldn't make it or they had to cancel and they're not scalping them at all they just kind of sell them for cost so if you missed out 
check that, check Facebook marketplace. People, people will sell them. So, uh, yeah, get out there. Total archery challenge. That'd be fun. So let's dive into how to deal with the lack of water. Um, I've hunted one area for about five or six years now, and it's like the place I go very, very frequently. I spend a lot of time there. I feel very comfortable with it. I really understand the patterns. I know, you know, all the little travel patterns and, and everything and, and lots of food there, a lot of scrub oak. And so I know they're there, but there's sometimes like I'll go and I'm like, man, where are they? And it's like the lack of water, I think really kind of is difficult for them. So I've been scratching my head on this myself for a while. And I've thought to myself, I'm like, man, couldn't I get, just get one of those kiddie pools, lug it up there. It's not heavy. It's just incredibly awkward. I would look like a total wackadoo. If I, I'm just trying to think of how other hikers and bikers would like look at me. Uh, maybe I just got to not think about it or just go up at like 5 a.m. So I was like, man, I just like bury a kiddie pool. And so I started researching online and this is like a thing. This is totally a thing. So if you are in an area where there is no water, no water holes, but you know deer are passing through, you can attract them through adding a water hole. Well, then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, shoot, I really have to rely on rain for this water hole thing to work. So there's, there's that side of it. I think it will though. And the, the places I'm thinking is like on a hillside. So I'm thinking like, oh, maybe the water will just kind of run into it and fill it in. Cause when we have some like pretty big rainstorms, like I was just thinking of two we had in the last week. Yeah. I mean, it really came down. So that, that would fill up. I mean, anyway, so I started researching it and it's a little different than I thought. Um, I think there's a few different ways to do it, but the one that I saw that, that kind of makes the most sense in my head, you can tell, you know, they really thought through how to do this is Jim Reed. He's a hunting property manager in Wisconsin. This is from realtree.com. Really cool blog post that I buzz through and it kind of makes sense of my thought process, but he kind of enhances a little bit. So you bury the pool, backfill it in, and then you actually, well, first you lay down a really strong piece of plastic underneath, like a, almost like a painting. Um, you know, when you paint, you lay down a big cloth, but it's like plastic and that goes under it. He says, you know, the pool is really easy to puncture, especially because like I know I've got two pools in the back of my yard right now. Oh my gosh, that just hit me. I'm just going to use one of my kiddie pool that I already have. Oh my dude, this is sweet. I'm super pumped now. I got to do this cuz I've got one that I don't know. Kids don't need two. Dad of the year. Um so you bury it, put that plastic barrier down. He says, you know, these can be punctured pretty easily and I can definitely attest that. I mean, look at the ones that I've had in my backyard. They just rot in the sun. So burying them with dirt works really, really well. Kind of pack it in. So it's not like the kiddie pool filled up like you think it is. It's you put dirt back into it. You make this really big divot. But just make sure there's not a lot of, you know, that pool exposed. Totally makes sense. The other thing he said was put like a stick or a log in there in case an animal falls in. And they can 
kind of climb out, which also makes sense because he said if you have a dead animal in there, like drowns, that can really mess up the water. The other thing that I'm really fascinated by is he talked about rivers and streams versus stagnant water. So you're thinking like, oh, if I'm a deer, I'm going to want that fresh water because that's how we are as humans. It's like, let me go get that fresh water out of the stream. Makes sense. Deer actually prefer stagnant water and it has to do some with the sense and, and a few other things. Not as healthy, but that's actually what they prefer. So it's pretty cool. I, I was a little worried about that. I'm like, well, what if I just put out stagnant water? Like that's, that's weird, right? So it actually is, is a benefit to you. And uh, so that kind of simply is a way to kind of get the, the water hole built, where to put it, if you can find where they're eating and where they're bedding. That is, you want to put it in the middle there. You also want to put it on an edge of a plot or kind of an open area makes sense so the other thing that's nice about that if you can get it close to a tree it would be awesome to um, get that on a trail cam so that that would be awesome all around there's also a lot of health benefits for bucks um, kind of growing strong having those nutrients really awesome I mean I'm kind of geeking on this because it's something I've struggled with for many years now I've you know, killed animals out of the area I go where there's no water yeah, I've always scratched my head. I'm like, man, if I could dial in their patterns a little bit more, have some water there to kind of, you know, bring that in, it, it just would be a lot, lot better. Now, got to keep a few things in mind. Um, it, it is tricky where it's like, okay, there's probably some morality thoughts here of can you go on public land and just bury a pool? I don't know. And... It's, you know, I, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line. Let me know what your thoughts are, public versus private. This discussion that I found of this blog post, he definitely is leaning more private of talking about property owners. So as I've thought more about it, I'm like, okay, how could I do this more naturally and not just go bury a, a pool? Because like, let's say erosion happens or something else happens and it like washes out this pool and it exposes itself like i know we all hate when we see those cellophane balloons cellophane balloons the shiny metal balloons out in the middle of nowhere the backcountry balloons as they call it it's like you know got to keep leave no trace in mind so as we think about public i'm trying to think how you could create maybe a divot or something where it's a lot more natural using natural materials so i'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, because I definitely don't want to promote like, hey, everybody, go get one of those bright blue pools at Walmart, and now we're all headed into the backcountry, plopping those down. In my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, it'd be sweet to have a water hole where I go, but I definitely don't want to promote that practice of putting all these things out in public land. So let me know your thoughts on maybe some natural materials. Maybe it's rock. Maybe you go out with a shovel and like really pack down the dirt and kind of make like a natural divot. I know where I am, there really isn't too many flat spots as, as I think about it. And so it, it'd be kind of cool to, you know, pack something down, do it naturally, maybe put some rocks in there 
where it's kind of a more natural barrier to hold water. And, you know, think about that. Could be quite a process to, you know, lugging up a shovel. You know, you probably want a jug of water. Uh, well, you're going to be drinking a ton of water if you're going to be digging and packing stuff down. But you might want some water to kind of help kind of turn that into a hard surface, you know, make some mud out there. Kind of a funny, you know, system I'm thinking out here. Love to hear your thoughts. Drop me a line on Instagram. Let me know if this is something you've done before, if you've considered it. Because it's really tricky when you're out and you're like, I know they're here, I've seen them, but there's just no water to speak of. Really, really tricky. So, all right. That is uh, what I wanted to propose to you and kind of offer up a few different thoughts. Now, let's say you don't go the water hole route and you're like, hey, it's just dry where I am. I'm not going to go lug a pool out there. I'm not going to go dig anything. What I've found that works best is just really spending a lot of time in that area and setting up cameras strategically to try to understand the paths. That was one thing I did yesterday. When you go into your area in a place that you really like, I just I try to get away from going the same route every time. I really fell into that for many years, like what's comfortable. And I try to break out of that as best I could. So every time I go up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a different route. I'm going to try a different tree for a trail cam. Shaking it up constantly because the more data, the more information we can gather, the better. So that that's one thing I would challenge you. The other thing too is like, there's also like a gut feeling you kind of go with. There was one area where I've been, it was kind of this interesting hillside and I was walking through there cause I was trying to change up my, my way, you know, and I was going through there and I bumped a few deer and I was super excited. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've never gone this way before. This is probably where they hang out. This is where they're bedding down. This is awesome. So then I kind of went all in on that particular draw and I almost over-invested into it. And I don't know if I necessarily, like a couple things I think what happened. One, I think it was more of an infrequent pass-through for them. I don't think it was frequent. I don't think it was a pathway for food and bedding. I think it was more like very sporadic of how they use that. Cause I've seen them in there before, but what happened was I would go sit on that draw and you know, I'm all excited. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is happening. And they just wouldn't come and it was just not working out. So over time, I just kind of went with my gut that I'm like, you know, as I've spent more time in this area, they're always in these particular spots. So you just kind of have to know when to let it go and not get too over you know, over-invested into a certain draw or a certain area where you're just kind of like, oh, I saw them once. They're just going to keep coming back. Well, if they don't, you got to find that out as soon as possible. So be strategic with your cameras. Be thoughtful of, you know, how, how you spend your time because, like me, I sat on those areas and I was just like, oh, I know they're going to come through. I've seen them once. You know, I've seen them twice. Um but man, after four or five times of being in that area, it's like, shoot, I'm out of time. Like, I don't have much time. Season is short. I've got to be a little bit more thoughtful there. So, all right. Well, that, that kind of wraps up our topic for today, how to, how to hunt in an area with no water holes. 
it's a big challenge. I'd love to hear from you if that's a challenge you face. Another thing I was thinking of too is I've also been to areas where there's a lot of man-made water holes, but it's public land. And you can tell like, I don't know, it probably had to do with, I think it had probably more the, the DWR people coming in and actually building these up. I don't think it was done by just average civilian, average hunter people. I think it had to be done by DNR because they're pretty built up. You'd have to get a tractor in there to kind of build up what they've done. They're definitely man-made. But the one thing that's tricky is there's almost like too many water holes. And I get it. It's probably all part of the habitat and population, and they've got to balance all that. So what I read also in this article that's really interesting is he kind of made a point of you don't necessarily have to put a ton of water holes out. I think sometimes we think of it, we could think about it like trail cams. Like, oh, you know, I want to up my chances and I'm just going to put water everywhere. He said once they find it, once they find the water, they're they're going to be very habitual and, and keep going back to that spot. So you don't necessarily want to put a ton out there. So I felt that in certain areas I have hunted before where there's like only almost too many water holes and it doesn't really funnel things down. So interesting stuff. Really, really interesting. Kind of fun. But yeah, I do love being a bow hunter because we're all about problem solving. Yeah, that's, that's what this is. It's kind of what makes it fun. And I think if you embrace it, those first few years, those first few seasons are going to be a lot more enjoyable rather than why isn't this happening? What is going on? You have to embrace some of those you know, non-eventful kind of struggling type days. I mean, yesterday I had fun. I mean, it was nice to get out of the heat in the valley, go up to the Wasatch and just kind of get out there a little bit, enjoy some shade. You know, do I have stickers on my socks? Yeah. Are those socks like totally jacked up? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, they're still workable. They look like crap. I mean, they're totally fuzzed out. But, you know, I just, I like, I looked at that and I was like, oh, all right, I learned, you know, take those, it's like Bob Ross, like the, uh, what is it? There's no mistakes, there's only happy accidents. <laughs> it's one of my uh, favorite, favorite sayings. But yeah, like, think about these things as just, you know, opportunities to learn and not get too worked up on, like, oh my gosh, it's not happening, or, you know, we just got to be careful of chasing those results too much. You know, you want to put the work in and investment, but things don't happen you just got to understand that you know there's there's something there you're supposed to learn i'm a big believer in that well that's it for me it's been episode 28 watch for more giveaways and make sure to jump on those t-shirts i don't have a ton so if you want to be one of the first to get a t you got to get me 15 bucks on venmo or drop me a dm if you got my forgot what my handle was it's adam hyphen buchanan hyphen three on Venmo and you can uh, $15 get one shipped let me know what size you need but yeah got it got a few XL large medium and then smalls are on the way and then let me know if you want the uh, Venice venison smoked daily or just the the simple first generation bow hunter but yeah super super fun lots of fun stuff happening hope to see you at total archery challenge at Park City if you're gonna be there in a few days and yeah, let me know also if you have any 3D hunts that you're kind of trying before the season totally kicks off. They're, they're a lot of fun if you've never done one. 
definitely consider it. All right, that's it for me. Make sure to leave a review if you're enjoying First Generation Bowhunter on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time.